just want to bless you real quick, okay? So uh, join me in extending a hand of blessing to these guys. Children, you're like my favorite part of this church. You guys really are. You're not the, the church of the future. You're the church right now. And uh, I, I thank you for the way that when we look at you and we see the way that you love Jesus and the, the simplicity of which you let Jesus love you, you're a witness and a picture to us of, of how we need to be too because yours is the kingdom of God. And may you be blessed today and may you have a great time in your classrooms. You may go. Thank you. Have fun, Leslie. How are you guys today? Yeah, you have a nice weekend? I spent my weekend painting. Yep, we spent yesterday painting. Uh, you know, 15 years ago when we built our house, like having a two-story living room sounded really cool and really awesome. Yesterday I changed my mind on that. Just up and down a ladder. Like my, my, my wife's awesome. Like I would be up on the ladder, I'd come down halfway, she'd roll the roller, hand it to me, I'd climb back up and keep rolling. Like, man, it, it, was, it was quite an effort. But uh, that's what I did this weekend is I painted. And it was a beautiful weekend. And uh, you can tell spring sort of in the air, can't you? There's something new. There's something like awakening out there. And you know what? That's, that's my prayer for us as a church, that we would experience awakening that we would experience sort of a, a spring revival in the spirit, the, the, the freshness of a new season, that, that we would experience that sort of season here at Victory Point. Um, I want to share, I want to begin by just uh, sharing a prophecy, I guess, from the book of Isaiah. You know, I just want to reach back, before we get to Mark, I know we're in the Gospel of Mark, but I want to reach back to Isaiah and something that he said that got recorded in Isaiah 35. I'm going to bring it up on the screens right here. Listen to what Isaiah prophesied. He said this, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then this will happen. Listen to this. Then the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is a prophecy of the renewal of Israel after long sad years in exile that God's people would be rescued from pagan oppression and creation itself would be renewed and celebrate. Just remember these words this morning as we get to the story we're going to look at. Anytime healing, breakthrough, victory, anytime those things show up in our stories, those things always have been and still are today. They're signs of God's love breaking in. And they're, they're a picture of what life in God's kingdom and under his rule and reign is like. And it's a pointer to the day when the great healing will occur of all creation. So we continue in our series. This is our Lent Easter series. We're calling it Following the King. And we're kind of working our way through the gospel of Mark together. And we've invited everyone, all of you, to read this gospel together during the season of Lent as we work our way up towards Easter. We're inviting you to read maybe two chapters a week. It's, it's not a big ask. It's very doable. It's very reasonable. Read two chapters a week. 
a week. Read them multiple times if you can. You know, Mark's gospel, if you remember, it's based really primarily and heavily on Peter's experiences with Jesus and Mark's recording them on Peter's behalf. Uh, It's a short, action-packed sort of book, um, especially focused not so much on just Jesus's words, but on his works and, and on his actions. And in the very first words of the gospel of Mark, Mark tells us who Jesus really is. You remember that? He says, Jesus is, he's the Messiah, He's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the anointed one. He's the one who will come and rescue and deliver Israel and establish God's rule on earth. And he's a king. And he's not just a king, he's the king. He's a divine king. Because Christianity, it's not about just following a set of beliefs you know, and ideas. It's about following a person, a real person who happens to be king, who happens to be the king. And so that's why we, we call this following the king. We're following our king through the gospel of Mark. What does our king have to say to us? What, what is our king like? What, what is our king up to? What does he do when he's present somewhere? Those are the kind of questions that I want us to be asking and thinking about as we read through the gospel of Mark. What's our king like? What's he do? What's he say? Because if we want to be like him and do the things that he did, we need to pay attention to these things. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And as we do that, let's pray. Lord, we're going we're to dive into this good news, this gospel of Mark this morning, a couple specific stories. And Lord, as we read this morning, may we be reminded that as we read this book, it's, it's not just ancient stories. It's a living, breathing, alive book. And we have what this book says we have. And we are what this book says we are. And so, Lord, I I pray that the Holy Spirit this morning would come and intersect us with the, the written word and that the living word would speak to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may that be so. Amen. All right, so if you want to follow along, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, find the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament. Find Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Drew, by the way, you were rocking it this morning on the drums, man. Are you sure you got to go to college next fall and leave us? Because that was awesome on that third song especially. Okay, Mark chapter 7. We find Jesus, he's engaging with the Pharisees in this heated discussion. They're debating about different ways, different interpretations of what it means to be a good Jew in first century um, times. They're debating about, you know, clean versus unclean, religion kind of versus the freedom of the gospel. And you could tell. I mean, as you follow along in the Gospel of Mark, you could tell that things are sort of building. There's this tension building between Jesus and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And it's, and it's an inevitable kind of direction that it's heading in. And Jesus knows this. He knows where this is heading. He knows what it's gonna result in ultimately for his life. But it's not yet the appointed time to bring things to a head, to, to, to bring things to this ultimate confrontation. Jesus is operating on a divine timetable. You see that throughout the gospel of Mark. You see that in other gospels. He's operating on a divine timetable. So, you know, he'll even say sometimes in different gospels, you know, it's not yet time. Or he'll, he'll 
caution people not to share anything because he, he doesn't want to bring, bring about, you know, like where this is going, his arrest and his crucifixion. So he's operating on a divine timetable. So he just had this heated debate and discussion with the religious leaders of the day. So he decides, I'm going to get away. I'm going to kind of remove myself from this situation for a while. So he leaves Galilee, probably for three reasons. To get away from the religious leaders, because it always ends up in these debates and arguments. Wants to spend some time with his disciples. I mean, he wants to get away and have retreat time with them. And he probably just needs to rest. Just needs to recharge. You know, needs to lay low for a little while. Well, he accomplishes two of the three. If you, if, if you follow Jesus at all, right? Like, it's always hard for him to get away and rest because people always find him. The crowds follow him. He, he can't get away. But he, he does get away from the people he's in opposition with. So he heads north. He heads north to the district of Phoenicia, which today is, would be Lebanon. And he heads to the seaport city of Tyre. And as best as we can tell, you know, from people who study the Gospels, because we don't have everything recorded in the Gospels that Jesus did, but as best as, as we could tell, this was maybe the only time that Jesus ventured beyond the borders of Israel, that he went outside of the borders of Israel. Entire is inhabited by Gentiles, non-Jewish people, by pagan Gentiles. And it's a region that has this really long history of opposition to Israel. This is where, you know, from this area back in the Old Testament, this is where Jezebel came from. Remember Jezebel? Like if you read the story of the kings, Jezebel was married to King Ahab of the northern you know, kingdom of Israel. And, and she's the one that brought Baal worship into the, the Israelites, you know. And uh, remember that, that cool story where Elijah takes on the prophets of Baal and um, then they all get killed. And uh, remember Jezebel, she's the one that kind of puts out a death sentence on Elijah. I mean, this, this is where Jezebel came from. This is where like, so, so for Israelites, like this is not a good territory. This is where the evil pagan, you know, Gentile people live. And, you know, one of the commentators I read, he, he said that Tyre is probably represented the most extreme expression of paganism, both actually and symbolically, that a Jew could ever expect to encounter. So Jesus, here we have Jesus leaving the boundaries, the safety, the comfort of Israel, although it's not that comfortable because the religious people are always going after him. He leaves Israel and he ventures into extreme Gentile territory. And he went there to rest, but it says like he, he couldn't, he couldn't escape notice even there. Like in Mark 7, verse 24, it says, Jesus left that place. He went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house. He did not want anyone to know that he entered the house, yet he could not keep his presence secret. I think there's something spiritual about that. I think there's a, there's a big truth in that. You, you can't contain Jesus. You can't keep Jesus a secret. Even in Gentile territory. And there he has, I'm just going to paraphrase this, but, he, but he, you probably read it this week, hopefully. He has this interesting encounter with a woman, an interesting encounter with a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman. She's a Gentile, so she's not Jewish, Jewish. So that would, to a Jewish person, you know, she would be considered a pagan. She's a Greek, probably a Greek speaking person, probably practices, you know, the Greek religions. She's a woman. So to Jewish culture, this woman could not have been more farther removed from God in a good Jewish understanding. But here's the deal. Her daughter 
is tormented by a demon. And she's heard of Jesus. She's heard of this guy. And so she barges into the house. Remember, the, did you read the story this week? She barges into the house. You know, Tim Keller says this. There's cowards. There's regular people. There's heroes. And then there's parents. You know, and then there's parents. And parents, they, they don't... They don't belong anywhere on that spectrum. They transcend that spectrum. Because if your child, right, if your parent, if your child is in a desperate situation, you do desperate things. You do whatever it takes to save your child. So she barges into this house, this, you know, Greek Gentile woman. She barges into the house where Jesus is and she begs Jesus. My, my daughter is possessed by a demon, save her. And and it's an interesting dialogue, is it? You know, Jesus kind of enters into this dialogue with her at first. In other gospels, you know, he sort of ignores her, but she persists. You know, she, she, she won't stop. She persists. And finally, Jesus says, you know, hey, I've come first for the lost sheep of Israel. That's who I've come for first. It's through them that the rest of you will you know, have salvation. But I've come first for the lost sheep of Israel, not the Gentile dogs. That was a, a term that, that they would use for Gentiles. And, and you gotta, don't misinterpret Jesus here. I, I don't think he's being derogatory. I think he's, I, I think he's sort of playing with her. I, I think he's a little bit of a teasing banter. And I think he is sort of a parable type answer that he has with her. I think he's testing her. I think he's inviting her into a deeper expression of faith. And don't miss what the woman does. She persists. She doesn't go away. She she doesn't even get defensive at Jesus' answer. She doesn't even seem bothered by his initial reply. She sort of accepts it, but then she kind of takes his analogy that he started and she expands on it. Yeah, but... But even the dogs under the table, you know, eat the crumbs that fall off the table. You know, like, even us Gentiles, you know, like, just give me a crumb here, Jesus. And, and Jesus is so taken by her faith, by her response. In, in Matthew, it almost describes it as her mega faith. You know, such big faith, you know, that she has, that, that he, he, he responds favorably to her request. He says, you can go. Your daughter is delivered. She's healed. And she is. And she is. And I think that's that picture for us, right? That Jesus always responds to faith. And he's almost inviting us to persist. He's almost inviting us to, to, to not stop asking. Keep asking. You know, because there's almost something about in our posture of asking and persistence that almost like turns the heart of God to respond. And it's this cool, cool story. And that's, that's an encounter Jesus had and he, as he's up in this region. But after that, Jesus, you know, he, he goes north to Sidon. And then he turns southeast to the region of the Decapolis. Maybe you've heard of the Decapolis before. The Decapolis is this Gentile region. And it literally is translated the 10 cities, right? Decapolis. It's, it's the 10 cities of this Gentile region. And altogether, this little journey that Jesus takes in, in Matthew, or Mark 7, it's like this kind of this horseshoe-shaped journey that he takes. It's about a 120-mile walk. 
And, and if you remember, right? Like remember back in Mark 5, you probably read this last week. Um, remember that, that story where Jesus, like he enters into this region and there's some tombs and there's a, a man in the tombs who's, who's possessed by demons, right? And um, like he, he keeps busting chains and stuff like that. And um, he, he's possessed by a legion of demons. Remember this story? And Jesus delivers him. He frees him, sets him free, and he sends all these demons into the pigs and the pigs run over the cliff. And, you know, that's not popular with the, the local people who are farming the pigs and stuff like that. But, but remember, do you remember like after Jesus did that and this man is in, he, he's freed now and Jesus is getting in the boat, he's getting ready to leave. And he says like, take me with you. I wanna be around you, right? I wanna be around you. Look what you did to me. I wanna be around you. Remember what Jesus says? He says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, I want you to uh, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And it says, so the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis region, he began to tell everyone in that region what Jesus had done for him. This is where Jesus is right now in Mark chapter seven. He's in this region and apparently this man has done his job. I think this man has spread the word because even as Jesus gets outside of Israel into Gentile territory, people like come find him. They've heard about him because people like this man has done the, what Jesus said. They told people about Jesus. So that brings us to Mark 7, 31 through 37. And that's the story I wanna dive into this morning and just make a few observations about so Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon all the way down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought him a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk and they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. After he took him aside, so Jesus takes him apart from the crowd, away from the crowd, Jesus, listen, he put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and he touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven. And with a deep sigh, he said, Ephetha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened. And he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Remember that prophecy I read at the very beginning from Isaiah 35, what it looks like when, when the king comes in the kingdom of, in the power of the kingdom, of his kingdom comes. Ears of the deaf are unstopped, Isaiah said. The mute tongue shall shout for joy, Isaiah said. We're seeing it lived out in this story. I just wanna look at three different layers of this story, three different layers that just sort of speak to me in this story. And uh, the first one is the faith of the friends. And this isn't a new revelation in the Gospel of Mark. As we've been reading the Gospel of Mark, haven't you noticed this? I certainly have. This has been speaking to me. It's the man's friends who brought him to Jesus. Just like, the daughter who was healed in the previous story, it was the mom who brought this to Jesus. Just like when we began this series, 
you know, a few weeks ago and we were looking at that story in Mark chapter two of the paralytic, remember that? And how his friends carried him to Jesus and dug a hole in the roof and lowered him to Jesus' feet. And it just, I can't help but be confronted, you know, with these two things again as I read this story. Number one, just super grateful for all the people who've carried me to Jesus in my life and who continue to carry me to Jesus today. But number two, who is the Holy Spirit nudging me to carry to Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit, you know, putting on my heart to carry to Jesus, to, to, to just to bring him to Jesus and put him at his feet and let Jesus do his thing. Let Jesus do what Jesus can do that I can't do. But what's it, what does it look like to bring him to Jesus? Remember, we, we kind of challenged you at the very beginning of this series as we, we started the season of Lent. Like, who is somebody that God's putting on your heart to maybe during the season of Lent to carry that person to Jesus in prayer, to carry that person to Jesus maybe through fasting and, and to just do whatever you can do to, to bring that person to Jesus. I, I see that in this story. You know, it was this man's friends who brought him to Jesus and begged Jesus to lay a hand on him. And like we've seen all along in the gospel of Mark so far, Jesus responds. Jesus responds to our faith on behalf of our friends. I love that about Jesus. He responds to people's faith on behalf of others. And then there's Jesus's response. You know, consider Jesus's response. You ever notice, right, how Jesus never heals anyone the same. He kind of always seems to do it differently. You know, and, and I think that's because he, he wants to make sure we understand this isn't a formula, okay? It's a person. It's not a formula. And, and so like, you know, what Jesus does here in this particular case is he takes the man aside away from the crowd because Jesus is never about the show. He's never about like, you know, drawing a big crowd. That's not what's important to Jesus. The person is important to Jesus. Take note of his posture. Take note of his proximity. He gets really close. He gets really personal with this guy. He enters into this man's world. He enters into this man's brokenness in a very personal way. I mean, just think about what he does. This man can't hear. He's incapable of verbal communication. So Jesus, I think, is speaking to him in the language that he can understand. Sign language. Jesus, you know, reverts to some, some sign language here with this guy. He takes his fingers and he places them inside of the man's ears. And then he removes them. I think that's his way of kind of saying to this guy non-verbally, I'm going to remove what's blocking you from hearing. You know, and then he spits. And I don't know, like, where he spits. Like, is he just spitting on the ground? Is he spitting on his... I don't think... I hope he doesn't spit on the man's tongue. I don't like that picture in my head. But I don't know, you know, but it did remind me, and you probably saw it on Facebook, of that awesome Seinfeld episode of the Magic Loogie. You remember that? You Seinfeld fans out there? Like, so this is one magic spit, but it's not really magic. It's Jesus. It's Jesus trying to speak to this man and intersect his life with this man in a way that this man understands. So, so he, he spits and he touches the man's tongue. And he's, I think that's his way of saying you know, visually to this man, I'm going to remove what blocks you from being able to speak. Did you catch this too? I mean, he puts his fingers in his ears and he touches his tongue, but there's this glance up to heaven. 
I think he's trying to get this guy to understand like this is where it's going to come from. You know, this is coming from the Lord. He glances up to heaven. He wants him to understand the source of what's about to happen. It's God who's able to do this for you. It's not magic. It's not a magic loogie or anything like that. It's, it's, it's my father who, who has power over this and, and you're about to experience it. And then I, I love that. I mean, that other word that just kind of grabbed me is Jesus sighed. You know, did you catch it? There's a couple times in Mark 7 and 8 where he, Jesus sighs. Like, <sighs> he sighs. I, I think Jesus' grief for this man and his pain for what sin has done to people is so deep. So with a deep, weary, heart broken sigh over a broken creation, Jesus cries out and he uses this Aramaic word, ephetha, which means be opened. And immediately, the man's ears are opened and he begins to speak plainly. He begins to speak plainly. In, in, in the original text, it, it literally means this sort of feel. Like, like this shackle that had tied up his tongue has been unlocked, has been released. Like, like a prisoner bound in chains has been set free. The tongue that has been tied up in knots is suddenly untied. And I wonder what his first words were. Isn't that, I mean, it's kind of cool to imagine. I wonder what his first words were. I would imagine they're words of praise and worship and gratitude. And then this, this part, you know, at the end, sort of this, I call it the uncontainable witness is another layer that I think speaks to me in this. Jesus charged them not to tell anyone. I don't know why. Like I said, my guess is Jesus is operating from a divine timetable. And things need to come to a head at the proper time. And he's, he doesn't want it to get rushed. He tell, so he tells them, he tells them, not just this man, he tells them, which I think it, his friends who brought him to Jesus, he tells them not to spread the news. They don't listen. <laughs> they disobey Jesus. And I can't help but like, I'm all right with that. I mean, like, you don't ever want to disobey Jesus, but I understand it, I guess. Don't you? I understand it. Like, how, how could they keep this to themselves? How could they keep this inside of them? When Jesus changes your life, when Jesus changes your friend's life, you can't contain it. You got to tell people. If Jesus has changed your life, you got to tell people. And they did. They did. And I love how verse 37 says, you know, he has done everything. Like, they're just overwhelmed. The people who, who just witness this, they're overwhelmed with amazement. Like, man, he has done everything well. And that, that reminds us, right, of, of the creation story. In Genesis 1 and 2, at the end of each day of creation, and it was good. It was good. It was very good. This is the same God who does everything good, who does everything well. Jesus is the God who cannot be hidden and he's the Lord who does everything well. That's who he is. So I wanna just give you a few touch points. Maybe, um, you know, invite you to consider like how are, how are these stories intersecting with your story today? How is the stories um, with this Canaanite woman and this deaf mute man, like how are they intersecting with your world today? 
You know, what are some points to ponder? How's the Holy Spirit getting your attention? I mean, if we really wanna be disciples who look like and act like our master, Jesus, you know, we need to pay attention to who Jesus is, what he does, how he does things. So here's just a few thoughts for you, you know, before we kind of wrap up. Here's one. And Jesus went outside of his normal territory in these stories. He went outside of his normal, comfortable borders of Israel. And he, he went into new territory. And opportunities just came to him. He didn't go looking for them, but they came to him as he stepped out into new places, as he stepped out into new territory, as he got outside of his comfort zone, if you will. Like, what might that look like for you? When's the last time you stepped into new territory? When's the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone into someplace new? What would it look like to maybe try that this week, to go somewhere different this week and just be paying attention for opportunities that come your way? that God puts right in front of you to, to be a witness for Jesus. Again, like I already talked about this, I mean, to me, this is just a growing thread and theme in the gospel of Mark. But, you know, we continue to see people bringing people to Jesus and then letting Jesus simply do his thing. And Jesus responding on behalf of friends' faith. So who is the Holy Spirit nudging you to bring to Jesus? Maybe you weren't here that first week we talked about that. Maybe that's grabbing you this morning. Who is, is the Holy Spirit putting somebody on your heart and your mind to carry to Jesus, to bring to Jesus, to beg to Jesus to lay a hand on? Pay attention to that. How about this? What makes you sigh? I, I think Jesus like sighed in this story because his heart was broken over what sin has done to his people, to his children. What, is, what in this world or what in the world around you makes you mad, makes you sad, isn't right, causes you to sigh in, in, in heartbrokenness? Maybe Jesus is inviting you to do something about that, to respond to that in a very tangible way. Whose world do you need to enter into? Jesus entered into this man's brokenness, got up close and personal with him. Or this, just thought of this one as I was driving in this morning. This man had blockage, right? He had blockage in his life. He, something was blocking and preventing him from hearing, blocking and preventing him from speaking, do you have any spiritual blockage right now in your life that you need to deal with? That you need to repent of? That you need to get rid of? That you need to invite Jesus to touch? To, to put his fingers in your ears and to touch your tongue or whatever that looks like? To, to, to bring you know, cleansing and forgiveness and to, to free the blockage in your life? Pay attention to that. There's one specific area I want us all to think about as we leave here today. I'm just gonna just give you something to think about. I'm gonna invite the band. Why don't you guys, you guys can come on up and get ready to sing one more song. But the thing I'd like all of us to consider this morning is this. Jesus touched this man. This man was forever changed and he couldn't help but tell people about what Jesus had done for him. And neither could his friends help but tell people about what Jesus has done for him. 
everybody I imagine that they came into contact with heard about what Jesus had done for them. Does that sound like you? Does that sound like how you live? Does that sound like how I live? Does that sound like the, my conversations that I have throughout the week? And if not, let me just ask this simple question. Why not? If you're not telling people about what Jesus has done for you, why not? Why not? Has Jesus changed your life? Because if the answer is yes, then tell people that. Tell people like what he's done for you. I, I sometimes think we overcomplicate this thing. That we, we think about evangelism and we get all nervous and scared and we think it has to be about big theology and it has to be about, uh, no, I don't know all these Bible truths. Just keep it simple. Just tell them about your life. I'm reminded of that story. We, someone brought it up this morning in prayer, like in John 9, that Jesus healed a blind man. You remember this story? There's this debate going on afterwards. Like, well, whose sin had made that guy blind? His parents, you know, whose sin was it? And they keep questioning this guy. And I, I, I sense he's frustrated. And he just says, look, I don't know. All I can tell you is once I was blind, now I can see. That's all I can tell you. That's all we need to do, folks. Like, what is your once and now story? Like, if you were to fill in the blank, once I was this, now I'm this. That's all you gotta share. That's all you gotta share. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know? My identity used to be wrapped up in people and in what people thought of me, but now it's freely in Jesus and what he thinks about me. You know? I used to see it as leading people, but now I see it as parenting people. You know, like, I mean, what is it? What is it for you? What is your, I once was this, now I'm this. I I once was a slave to sin, now I'm, I have victory over sin. I once was lost to sin and I'm now cleansed of my sin. That's all you gotta share. That's all you gotta share. That's all this guy shared. Once I couldn't hear and talk, but now I can. It's Jesus. He did it for me, he can do stuff for you. That's all you got to share. That's all you got to share. I mean, me, me and Pete, we were having breakfast with a guy on Friday morning this week. And we just, like, invited ourselves into this guy's life, you know. And inevitably, we found ourselves getting to share. Man, once my life was like this, now it's like this. Once my parenting was feeling like this, but now I'm having some victory over here. Once I was this kind of kid, but now I'm this kind of kid. You know what I mean? Just inevitably, you put your, if you incarnate yourself into someone's life, you will have the chance to proclaim what Jesus has done in your life. Do it. Do it boldly. Do it boldly. Hugh Halter, I heard him say this a couple weeks ago when I was at a conference. He said, evangelism today isn't telling people what they haven't heard, but that what they've heard isn't like what they think it is. Like, you're, you're, in this community, you're probably gonna have a hard time finding people who haven't heard about Jesus. But what you get to tell them, what I get to tell them, is it's, you know, it's not like you think it is, it's way better. It's way better. I was once like this, now I'm like this. I once was lost, now I'm found. Once was blind, now I can see. Once I couldn't hear, now I can. Once this was, my life looked like this, now it looks like this. What if we just all shared that kind of stuff? So just think about that. Be conscious of that as you walk out of here this morning. We're gonna stand. Why don't we stand? We're gonna gonna sing one more song. But I also wanna invite you. If if the Spirit's intersecting you this morning in a very specific way, maybe you do have blockage you need to deal with. 
Maybe you do have something that you'd like to pray with somebody about. We got some people that have offered to pray this morning. They're actually walking over to that corner right now. And that's our little prayer corner. And uh, as we sing this song, if you would like someone to pray with you about anything, you can just mosey on over there during the song or after the song even. Just head on over to the corner. They'd love to pray with you. So Jesus, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Lord, we are inspired by simple people in the Bible who once were like this, but now they're like this. Lord, that's our story too. And I pray that you would inspire us and encourage us and give us courage to to do our part to share your story with everybody we get a chance to, wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.